Before we rush off in uh, to the text, we're going to get there in just a minute, but before we do, there's a couple people in our audience tonight that I just have to acknowledge. Uh, many of you know that Matt DeVlieger was in a serious scuba diving accident uh, just a couple weeks ago now. I was there on Thursday and Friday, and Matt and his brother Andrew, maybe mom Denise, are watching from room 270 in the rehabilitation center at the Miami Hospital. And so this is our chance to say hi to them. So if you would stand, if we could get a wide angle on that camera, stand and turn and let Matt know that we care about him, I would appreciate it. Hey, Matt! I was there on Thursday and Friday, and Matt moved from the hospital to the rehab center. I was there with him as he did his first day of occupational therapy and physical therapy. He did great. The uh, therapists who were working with him were encouraged him and gave him lots of reasons for hope. And uh, so we, Matt, Andrew, Denise, Bob, Denise, uh, Sandy, excuse me, we are praying, and we will continue to pray, and we want you to know that the Calvin community cares for you, and uh, we will continue to do so. So we're glad that we, you could be with us tonight. If uh, you all would now pull out your Bibles and turn to page 884, we are starting a three-week series from the book of Acts, and we're going to start at a, an appropriate place, the first chapter. We're going to look for this month at the church, and the, the author of Acts, Luke, starts in an by telling an incredible story but with Jesus' first instructions to the disciples about what the church should do. And I think if you haven't read these this text in a while, you're going to be surprised when we get to looking at this passage more carefully and finding out what Jesus' first instructions were to the disciples about the church. So let's read God's word together, starting at verse 1 of chapter 1. In the first book, Theopolis, I wrote about all that Jesus did and taught from the beginning until the day when he was taken up to heaven, after giving instructions through the Holy Spirit to the apostles whom he had chosen. After his suffering, he presented himself alive to them by many convincing proofs, appearing to them during 40 days and speaking about the kingdom of God. While staying with them, he ordered them not to leave Jerusalem, but to wait there for the promise of the Father. This he said is of what you have heard from me, for John baptized with water, but you will be, will be baptized with the Holy Spirit not many days from now. So when they had come together, they asked him, Lord, is this the time when you will restore the kingdom of Israel? He replied, it is not for you to know the times or periods that the Father has set by his own authority, but you will receive power when the Holy Spirit has come upon you, and you will be my witnesses in Jerusalem, in Judea, and Samaria, and to the ends of the earth. When he had said this, as they were watching, he, he was lifted up, and a cloud took him out of their sight. While he was going, and they were gazing up toward heaven, suddenly two men in white robes stood by them. They said, Men of Galilee, why do you stand looking up toward heaven? This Jesus who has been taken up from you into heaven will come in the same way as you has, have, that you saw him go into heaven. The word of the Lord. I encourage you to keep your Bibles open. We're going to be flipping through there throughout the evening. Waiting 
as they say, like breaking up, is hard to do. Whether you are waiting for your, a table at your favorite restaurant, whether you are waiting in your car at a red light, whether you are waiting for a report on a sick loved one, or whether you are waiting to get your first semester grades after you've played far too much FIFA soccer, <laughs> waiting is hard to do. These past number of weeks, I have been reminded how hard waiting is. I've been reminded by my, my, my now five-year-old son, Quincy, which is his birthday today. Thank you. You can see him there. He's loving on his sister. I've been reminded how hard it is to wait. When you are five, almost five years old and it, the calendar flips from November to December, it seems like something instantly kicks in that's like, I gotta wait, I gotta wait. It's coming, I know it's coming. I know that day's coming, I can see it on the calendar now. And everything we do just seems to increase the sense of anticipation and the, how hard it is to wait. So as fun as it is to go out and cut the family Christmas tree down at Hart's Family Tree Farm, or how much fun it is to decorate and then eat lots of Christmas cookies, or uh, going up into the attic and getting a box of our decorations and bringing them down into the living room and then setting them out piece by piece, or walking through our neighborhood and seeing all the Christmas lights and all the Christmas decorations in other people's homes. No matter what it is, no matter how much fun it is, it just makes the waiting that much harder. It seemed like around every corner, everything we did, there was something that increased his sense of, are we there yet? Are we there yet? Is it here yet? Are we going to be able to do the thing that we've been waiting for most? And it was the, the crescendo of it all was that morning when he came down and finally, finally, there was that first present underneath the Christmas tree. And then it was just all over. Can I open it, Dad? Can I open it? Can I open it? And then his younger sister didn't take her long to learn that she could come in. Daddy, can we do it? Can I? Can I? And then their mother, Betsy, and I had to be the ones to bear the bad news and hold the hard line and say, no, it's not time yet. There's still a few more days of waiting. And initially, I just thought this waiting would be hard on Quincy. But as we got into the final days, I realized how hard it was going to be on me. You see, when you're four and a half, almost five, and you can't tell the time perfectly yet, it's pretty easy to think that when, the alarm, when your clock says 6.00, that that's time to get rolling. So our alarm clock, Quincy, went off a little earlier than we had hoped. And so that final week, it's like, Dad, it's 6 a.m. I mean, is, is today the day? Are we, are we there yet? Can we do it now? Can we open the presents? It's like, no, a couple more days couple more days the waiting would not end and I was reminded just how hard it is to wait we read a passage tonight about a group of people who were experiencing just how hard it is to wait we see in the in chapter in verse 4 where Jesus says while staying with them Jesus ordered them to not leave Jerusalem but to wait and notice the language that he uses. He orders them. It's not a suggestion. It's not a, hey, have you considered? Or, hey, why don't you think about? No, Jesus orders the disciples to wait. But doesn't it seem like an odd instruction? I mean, the disciples have just come through this incredible stretch of history. They were the ones there as 
Jesus rode in on a donkey in the, the, the triumphal entry. They were the ones there who watched Jesus break the bread and pour the wine into the cup. They were the ones there when Jesus was arrested. They were the ones there who saw Jesus' body on the cross. They were the ones who had seen Jesus' resurrected body. They had seen extraordinary things in just a few short weeks. And now he says, wait? What are you talking about, Jesus? There's so much to do. There's so many people to tell. There's so many things that we could be ground that we could cover. There's this new kingdom to launch. We get a sense of how anxious the disciples are from chapter or from verse six. Excuse me. It says, "Lord, is this the time when you will restore the kingdom to Israel?" You see, the disciples had thoughts that there was going to be a new kingdom in town. They thought that this might be the beginning of a political career for Jesus. They thought that this might be the, Jesus, the Jewish renewal movement just kicking off. They thought that there was going to be a political future. There was going to be power and prestige ahead of them. They had already played rock, paper, scissors to see who got to be the vice president. Somebody said, I think he has a real future to be the next Barack Obama. I mean, he's really a strong candidate. They had printed the Jesus for President t-shirts. They had already organized a fundraising campaign. They were ready to go. They couldn't wait. And Jesus says, no, you have to wait. But Jesus, we have to move now. We've got to capture the momentum. Time is money. You know what they say. The early bird gets the worm. We've got to get going. No, Jesus says, you have to wait but we have to build the church, Jesus. Uh, think about how many missionaries that we could send out. Think about how many people we, that we could feed. Think about how many children we could clothe. No, Jesus says, you have to wait. All I can imagine is that it must have seemed like strange instructions to the disciples to wait. And I'm guessing that no, you have to wait sounds as unappealing to us today as it did to them then. When asked, most of us don't identify waiting as a strength. I'm not sure many of us have taken the strengths finder and received the report back and said, oh, look, I'm good at waiting. Excellent. Most of us have heard the song, have patience, have patience. Don't be in such a hurt. We play it all the time in our car. And why? <laughs> because we need to be reminded that patience is important. Most of us have been raised in the school of Dr. Seuss. Some of you may have seen this. I was told by somebody here tonight, I won't mention who, that is actually in her dorm room. I want you to read you an excerpt from Dr. Seuss's Oh, the Places You'll Go. You can get so confused that you'll start in to race down long wiggled roads at a breaknecking pace and grind on for miles across weirdish wild space headed, I fear, toward a most useless place. The waiting place for people just waiting, waiting for a train to go or a bus to come or a plane to go or the mail to come or the rain to go or the phone to ring or the snow to snow or waiting around for a yes or a no or waiting for their hair to grow. Everyone is just waiting, waiting for the fish to bite or waiting for a wind to fly a kite or waiting around for, for Friday night or waiting perhaps for their Uncle Jake or a pot to boil or better break 
or a string of pearls or a pair of pants or a wig with curls or another chance. Everyone is just waiting. No, that's not for you. Somehow you'll escape all that waiting and staying. You'll find the bright places where the boom bands are playing. So we're told that waiting is useless. Waiting serves no purpose. So it seems appropriate for us then to say that there's the choice of doing something. It always would be better than the choice of doing nothing. And it's not as if this sense of waiting only applies to us as individuals. It's, if we're going to, talking about the church, it certainly has made it into the church as well. Read any book these days, attend any conference, and you're going to hear people say, we've got to do more. We've got to have more programs, start new initiatives, serve more people, send out more missionaries. So what could be wrong with it? I mean, what else could we need? Why wouldn't we start the new building tro- project if we have enough money? Why wouldn't we launch the small group ministry if we have enough leaders? Why wouldn't we start the food pantry if we have enough volunteers? Because maybe there's something our churches need even more than money. Maybe there's something our churches need even more than leaders. And maybe there's something our churches need even more than volunteers. But is that even possible? I mean, what, what could that be? I mean, what could we need more than those things? And for an answer to that question, we'll need to turn back to the text. In verse 4, we've read already, it says, While staying with him, he ordered them not to leave Jerusalem, but to wait for the promise of the Father. He goes on to say, You will be baptized with the Holy Spirit in verse 5, not many days from now. And then we get our answer in verse 8 when he says, But you will receive power when the Holy Spirit has come upon you. You will receive power. It seems to be all about the timing, all about the ordering. First wait, then the power. First stay, then go. You can't go until you wait. You can't go until you've received the Holy Spirit. You can't go until you've received that power. The Greek word here, as some of you may know, is dunamis. It's, it's where we would get the, our word dynamite. That can be translated power or strength, might. Moving forward without the Spirit would be like driving a car without gas or turning on a lamp that's had the cord pulled out. The most beautiful, powerful, and well-designed car is useless without any fuel. The most beautiful light is useless if that cord is pulled out of the wall. The wattage of the bulb doesn't make any difference if it's disconnected from the power source. Even, some, even though the disciples were eager to go, as eager as a child to open up those Christmas presents, Jesus ordered them to say, and he said, you can't go yet. You have to wait for your power source. You have to wait for the Holy Spirit He seems to be saying, trust me, you do not want to go out there until you have received the gift the Father is going to give you. And as we read through the book of Acts, we realize why. After the Holy Spirit came upon the disciples, everything changed. Empowered, the Holy Spirit empowered them to do remarkable things. The impact of the Holy Spirit was unmistakable and undeniable. 
Walk through with me just a few examples of what I'm talking about. When the Holy Spirit comes, we see it and you can't confuse it. Look at chapter 2, verse 4. All of them were filled with the Holy Spirit and began to speak in other languages. People heard them in their own native tongue. One example. Flip over the page to verse 37 of chapter 2. Down there at the bottom, verse 37. Now when they heard this, they were cut to the heart and said to Peter and to the other apostles, Brothers, what should we do? Peter said to them, Repent and be baptized, every one of you, in the name of Jesus Christ, so that your sins may be forgiven. The Holy Spirit cuts to the heart. In chapter 3, we read about Peter healing a crippled beggar, a, a sure sign of the work of the, whole, the empowering work of the Holy Spirit. Flip over the page again to chapter 4. Chapter 4, verse 31. There at the bottom of the middle uh, section. Verse 31. When they had prayed, the place in which they were gathered sh- together was shaken, and they were all filled with the Holy Spirit and spoke the word of God with boldness. The Holy Spirit brings boldness and brings courage on the top the final two verses of chapter 4 at the top of the next paragraph or the next uh, column there verse 36 there was a Levite a native of Cyprus Josephus to whom the apostles gave the name Barnabas Barnabas team there's a nice shout out for you which means son of encouragement he sold the field that belonged to him then brought the money and laid it at the apostles feet the Holy Spirit animates us, inspires us to give of our gifts and our offerings. Two more examples. Flip over a page to the end, very end of chapter 7, page 891, verse 60, the final verse. This is at the very end after uh, Stephen has uh, spoken to the council. And this is at the end as he is being stoned. He says, Then he knelt down and cried out in a loud voice, Lord, do not hold this sin against them. Stephen prays that those who are killing him, murdering him, he prays that their sins will not be held against them. The Holy Spirit is the one who empowers us to forgive others. And then the final example, Acts 15, page 8, or excuse me, 900, page 900, verse 28, a few verses down. Verse 28 on page 900, it says, For it has seemed good to the Holy Spirit and to us to impose on you no further burden than these essentials. Here Luke is writing about the decision made at the Council of Jerusalem about whether or not Gentiles should have to be circumcised in order to be followers of Jesus. And they came to the decision by, and they say, it seemed good to the Holy Spirit and to us. The Holy Spirit brings wisdom when making difficult decisions. I think you can see that the book of Acts is just absolutely full of the empowering work of the Holy Spirit, of what happens when the power of the Holy Spirit is unleashed. And I think from these examples, you can see why Jesus said, you do not want to go out there. You do not want to go out to Jerusalem and Judea and Samaria and to the ends of the earth until you've received this power. You do not want to go out there. You do not want to be Stephen and being stoned on your own strength and then have the capacity to say, Lord, forgive them, for they don't know what they're doing. That's why they had to wait. It would have been impossible for 
the disciples and others to perform miracles or to convert sinners. It would have been unnatural for them to share all their possessions or to forgive their killers. They could have never fulfilled Jesus' command to be my witnesses if they didn't first, if they didn't obey his first command to wait. But through the power of the Holy Spirit, they did all these things. The Spirit empowered them, the Spirit inspired them, the Spirit animated them. And here's the good news for us. The Holy Spirit still empowers. The Holy Spirit still inspires. The Holy Spirit still animates. The same God who gave the gift of the Holy Spirit to the disciples also offers the same promise and the same power to all of us. As I mentioned at the beginning, this past Thursday and Friday, I flew down to Miami to spend with Matt and his brother Andrew and their mom, Sandy, there we are in, in Matt's rehabilitation room just after he had uh, finished some rehabilitation in the, that morning. As most of you know, but for those of you who don't know, uh, Matt was down in the Keys with, on a family vacation over the Christmas break with his twin brother Andrew and his mom and his dad. While he was down there, they, de they decided to do some scuba diving, which they have done the last five or six breaks. They were experienced divers. While he was down at 135 feet, he realized that he was low on air and had to go up to the surface more quickly than he should. Because of the extreme pressure on his body, the extreme pressure changed nitrogen, filled up in his blood. Nitrogen bubbles filled in his blood, came in his blood, blocked. The bubbles were so large, it blocked oxygen flow to his spinal cord. And he had the equivalent of a stroke to the spinal cord compared to a, what you would think of as a stroke to the brain. And as a result, at this point, he is paralyzed from the chest down. And as I sat with Matt and his brother Andrew and his mom, I saw the empowering work of the Holy Spirit. As I sat there and watched Matt interact with the medical staff with grace, as he listened to the doctors and nurses report both the good news and the bad news with a sense of hope, the Holy Spirit was active in his life, active in the room. And if you were there like I was there, and Andrew and Sandy, I know because they told me what they had seen and what they had witnessed in the, over the past two weeks. The empowering work of the Holy Spirit was all over Matt's life. To accept news that is possible that he may never walk again. And to, to take it in, to accept it. And to know that in spite of all of it, there is a God who has promised to never leave and to never forsake him. There was a sense of expectation and hope and joy inside of Matt that can only be explained as the empowering work of the Holy Spirit. And I sat there in his room and I sat next to him as he was beginning his rehabilitation on Friday. As he began to make transitions from his wheelchair onto the mat where he began to do his exercises. And I was there the first time that he was able to take off his, or to put on, excuse me, put on his shirt and then to take it off and put it on. As he was there, as he was realizing that he could open a sugar packet, again, all on his own, I saw what happens when the Holy Spirit comes inside of us. I saw what happens when we understand that when we wait on God, he will not disappoint us. He will not send us out 
on our own. As the songs we sang tonight talk so much that he never grows faint. There's a God who never grows weary, that we will rise up on wings, not because of our strength, but because there is one who lives inside of us, the Holy Spirit, who empowers us and animates us and inspires us in ways that we could never do on our own. But this spirit-filled life isn't only available to Matt. It, it isn't only available if you've been injured in a serious accident. The Holy Spirit is available to all of us who will wait patiently for the gift of the Father. In the same way the Holy Spirit and the disciple, empowered the disciples after Pentecost, he also empowers us. The Holy Spirit empowers us to forgive the friend who betrayed us. The Holy Spirit empowers us to endure the suffering of being mistreated by a boss or a coach or a professor. The Holy Spirit empowers us with the wisdom when we have to make difficult decisions about careers, relationships, vocations. The Holy Spirit empowers us to share our possessions generously with those who are in need. But sometimes, sometimes we must first wait. We must wait on the Father. Wait for the Holy Spirit. In a group of people this large, it is no doubt that there are those of you who are in a time of waiting. You may be in a time of waiting because you have lost someone you loved. There has been a death in your family and the grief feels like it is going to wash over you like a wave and that there's not going to be enough air to breathe. And for some of you, those first semester grades came and they, didn't, they don't look so good. And so the anxiety of being back in school and the fear about what if I can't make it, what if I don't get that grade for interim, I don't know if I can stay. Some of you are in relationships. Some of you have made it, gone to a new place. Some of you are, got engaged over the Christmas break and now you're at a different place and you wonder what it's going to look like and there's a sense of waiting. Some of you were in a relationship for a long time and now it broke off and you are caught overwhelmed. Some of you, some of your families are in financial situations. You haven't been able to talk to anybody about it. But when you go home, you can see it on the looks in your parents that things aren't good and they're not sure how much longer you can stay in school here. And all these things just start to weigh you down. And so we wait. And we come together to wait. And waiting isn't something we do very often. So tonight, I'm going to invite us into a time of waiting. I don't know what all of your situations are. I don't know what you might be waiting for, but I know every one of us here tonight is waiting on something. And so, in the quiet of this place, I'd like to create some time and space for us to wait together. We're going to just live in silence for a few minutes, and for some of you, uh, you might want to take a posture of just sitting with your hands open like this and your eyes closed. For, those, for others of you, you may feel so desperate that the only place that makes any sense is to be down on your knees because you're so desperate and you say, oh God, I have no other option but to wait on you. I don't know what it is for you, but I know that from studying scripture this week 
that we serve a God who invites us to wait on him. And the songs that we've sung tonight have reinforced once again that those of us who wait on the Lord, we will never be put to shame. We will never be disappointed. It may not look the way that we thought it looked, was going to look, but we will not. Our God will not leave us. And so I just would like to invite you into a time of waiting. I don't know what that looks like for you, but right where you're at, or if you want to come forward, because that would be more appropriate for you, you're welcome to come forward to the front. But I invite you to to share the, the cries of your heart with our Heavenly Father and wait on Him.